Well, hello, and welcome to the Bill Bennett Show, where the podcast that translates President Trump, and he is still president, no matter what happens, he is still president. <laughs> and we take a look at the current administration, maybe a new future administration. We address the threats to America, and they are real. Joining me today is Joel Farkas. He's the director of the American Strategy Group. I'm a fellow at the American Strategy Group here in Washington. We'll also hear from Brian Kennedy, president of the American Strategy Group, and he is chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. So it's a big American Strategy Group day. It's time to strategize. Uh, let me talk about a few things and go over a couple of emails. So uh, we will uh, talk about elections, election fraud with the um, one of the country's real experts, Brian Kennedy, who is been working with the Trump team. I just, I want to give this thing every chance it has, because I believe this election was stolen. Uh, if you can't make the case, you can't make the case, but let's hear the best case. And that's what we'll hear from Brian. From Joel, we'll hear also his views of the election, but also what's going on in California. He's our California watcher. He's our stalker. And um, a lot of news about the shutdowns and all that. But first couple of emails, why don't you give us a sense of these uh, two emails we want to highlight today? Sure, absolutely. So our uh, friend Jim Roberts, he uh, emailed in and said uh, he just finished listening to the latest podcast with John Hinderocker. Uh, first, uh, he said, I first must point out uh, that whatever you think of the Ohio State football, <laughs> of Ohio State football, uh, they're right where they should be uh, in the current uh, rankings. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, all right. So you see where he's coming from uh, already. I'm inclined to disagree now, whatever he says. Right. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Got off on the wrong foot. Uh, do you do, do you disagree more with Ohio State football fan or Notre Dame football fan? Which fan is the uh... this year? Ohio State. Okay. <laughs> All right. They've only but, get but five not, games. Not much. Right? No, not much. I, I, I I'll explain that. I'll explain that because. Um, Let's go through the whole email. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it may be easier to talk about election fraud. He says, uh, as for the election, I'm convinced that the Democrats stole it uh, and that it was uh, preplanned and orchestrated. I further think that it might actually get uncovered because Trump was doing uh, so well that the Democrats had to resort to their final line of fraud, large yeah. dumps of fake ballots to save their plan. Uh, that's why the vote counting stopped on election night. But this is totally unacceptable in our country. And I hope your friend, uh, William Barr, uh, will finally step up to the plate as attorney general and get a, a thorough investigation with prosecutions into this, uh, not just for Trump, but for America. We can't just keep saying there goes those Democrats stealing another election. Well, maybe in two years we'll win. Yeah, no, that's a good, strong statement. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on with Justice Department. Part of this is... Uh... A lot of these cases are civil litigation, and the Justice Department deals with criminal law. But, of course, there can be a criminal aspect to it, depending on what occurred. I, I, I don't know. It's a bit of a black box for me, the, uh, the Justice Department and what it's doing. But I wouldn't count Bill Barr out of this picture yet. There's rumors he's going to leave. I don't know whether that's true or not. It's a fair, fair question. I don't know, quite know the answer. I don't know, but it's, it's a fair question. As to the election being stolen, I, I think um, I think Jim knows I agree with him, um, and we will talk about this at length with uh, Brian Kennedy uh, later on in the show. Um, he's on the inside of all this. I've uh, been in Nevada, been in Arizona, and uh, now we got this news out of Michigan that they're going to let people, forensic uh, people, look at the um, machines, and if they find something untoward there that they can prove, I could blow this thing wide open. What's the next step if it gets blown wide open? You know, if let's ask Brian. Okay, let's ask Brian. I I would give you a guess, but he will know more. 
let's go back to Ohio State for a second. Let's. Um, I don't think there's good a team. I didn't think there was good a team as Florida, which is ranked number six, and I thought they were about even with Texas A&M, which is ranked five. Mm-hmm. Right now, the top four are Alabama, uh, Notre Dame, mm-hmm. uh, Ohio State, Clemson. That's the AP ranking. I, th- I think that's right, uh, although I think Clemson's better than Ohio State. I think the top four are right. The order's wrong. Uh, Ohio State just hasn't proved it yet. And I, the only game I watched closely was Indiana, and Indiana really almost beat them. You remember that game? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Clemson was beaten only by Notre Dame, but without a very Trevor close game without Trevor Lawrence. They're going to play that again. But I, but Florida, I, you know, I thought was real strong, but they don't have a running game. They didn't have a running game against Tennessee. Texas A&M is good, but they lost Florida. So, mm-hmm. okay, Ohio State's unbeaten. Now, Ohio State's only played five games. right. And by Big Ten rules, they have to play six games in order to make it to the Big Ten uh, playoffs. But I have a feeling the Big Ten will change that rule. <laughs> well, there's all these, there's all this talk also about Michigan can't ruin Ohio State's chances at a playoff by playing them because they'll lose. And so maybe if they don't play them due to COVID nineteen situations, they'll yeah, ruin because yeah. Ohio State yeah. won't be able to get to six games. <laughs> right. We can't beat them on the field, so we'll beat them by getting sick. <laughs> But don't worry if they don't play them and they're sick. If they play them, they'll lose. Yeah. If, they, if they don't play them, uh, they'll change the rules in the Big Ten. Uh, they'll be in the Big Ten championship. Don't count out Northwestern. That's a pretty good team. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's hear from Ted. All right. So we'll go to yeah our email from our buddy Ted uh, in uh, New York. He says, uh, uh, "Dear Bill, what a pleasure it was to rediscover you on your podcast. I used to read your book, The Moral Compass, to my children at bedtime uh, some years back." Says your show is an oasis of the political uh, sobriety in a world gone mad. Uh, it does my soul well to hear a reassuring voice on the right, especially one with such gravitas. He says, uh, I presume you know Dr. Rod Dreer. He says his latest book, Live Not by Lies, is fabulous. Maybe book him for the show sometimes. We'll, we'll look into that. He says, please tell your wife that I may have an easier way to figure out how to handle a crowded table setting. Simply make the OK sign with each hand. The left hand looks like the letter B, uh, think bread, and your right hand looks like the letter D, think drinks. That's pretty simple. Let me see that. Let me do this. Left hand looks like the letter B. Mm-hmm. Does it? Mine in here. And yep, yeah. Okay, I'll pass it, Mrs. Bennett. I'll let you know. Something tells me she prefers a more sophisticated way of <laughs> telling all, it. all she did was say BMW. <laughs> which every, you know, guy, car fans here ought to be able to. <laughs> I'm grateful for the email, though. Thank you very yes. much. Yes. You are glad to rediscover me. We are glad to refine and rediscover you. And um, and thank you very much for listening. It is quite amazing how many new listeners we get. I mean, over the last few months, we've grown. And so if people want to share with folks who they know listen to the old radio show, uh, uh, or read some of the books or, you know, just some folks who are looking for, like you said, some reassuring, um, measured conservative talk, uh, just have them go to the Bill Bennett podcast and, uh, they can find the show and send your emails to the, uh, Bill Bennett podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, excellent. Um, we do appreciate it. We appreciate the growth. Try to keep it interesting. We've been in North Carolina. We're heading back to, uh, DC, uh, in a few days. I'll get to see and, you face-to-face. Yeah, I'll see you face-to-face. But I'll tell you, you know, my son says, uh, daughter-in-law says, it's a ghost town. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching Fox. And uh, for those who want to write and say, why are you watching Fox? Well, I work for Fox. <laughs> I kind of need to. 
I've watched Newsmax a couple times. It's okay. It doesn't obviously doesn't have the the goods that uh, Fox has. I, I do know a lot of the people. By the way, I do know Rod Dreher. Uh, Ted asked about that. I do, and we might maybe we'll get him on. But I was watching Fox, and they're showing Sixth Avenue here at eight fifteen in the morning, and it looks like a, a, a sad, a slow Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. Monday. It's you know what have they done to New York, and what have they done to L.A.? Boy, how many times have you seen that woman who has that outdoor seating restaurant? Mm-hmm. But she uh, can't open. But next door, they got all these outdoor seating for the movie company. Right. Right. You know, she's saying they can do it. I can't. You know, mm-hmm. it's right mm-hmm. next door to her. Quite ridiculous. We'll talk to Joel about that. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Okay, let's welcome Joel Farkas to the show. He's the director of the American Strategy Group. I'm a fellow at the American Strategy Group. Mr. Farkas, where are you physically? Because that dep- that'll ter- determine my questions here, my order of my questions. Uh, 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 Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. Uh, oh, okay. All right. Well, you're not the mayor of Austin. With, oh, my with, God. With Austin, Democrat, Texas, with Democrat officials. L.A., California, uh, Newport <laughs> Beach, San Diego, San Francisco. Oh, my gosh. God love you. God love you. Now, how did you get to go? Aren't you forbidden to travel? Uh, no, no. Um, I'm not forbidden to travel. First of all, um, I, I am not a California resident and I don't spend hardly any time there any longer. I just I just criticize it. I don't actually go there. And then and, and um, you know, uh, a Cabo in, in Mexico, they're doing really, really well with uh, keeping businesses open, yeah. keeping people safe. Yeah. How about um, that? Restaurants are open. People are working. It's a it's you know, this they they've they figured out how to navigate. Um, I, I, so having sitting down here, I'm astonished at how much better Cabo San Lucas is than Southern California Amazing. in dealing with this, this pandemic. And you're a, a res, state resident of Colorado, right? Correct? Colorado. That's correct. But for, didn't, for 36 didn't, years. Didn't your mayor or governor also make a boo-boo on this? Didn't he tell everybody not to travel? Yeah. Yeah, they. Um, he told him not to travel, and of course, he um, he he traveled and he went to his his family events. Why did you flagrantly disobey your mayor? I'm a flagrant disobeyer. <laughs> you know, you know what? I'm actually taking the uh, the the line from uh, Xavier Becerra, the California Attorney General. Oh, about he, to be Secretary of HHS. Right. And Xavier Becerra, when he was appointed Attorney General, he his his message was resist and persist. I just have said, you know what, if it's good enough for Mr. Becerra, it's good enough for me. Now, the point I made about the hypocrisy, uh, I, and I guess most prominent is Governor Newsom, is in addition to the hypocrisy, the thing I've been saying, I don't know if you think this is a good point or not. It also shows, again, not just the hypocrisy. It shows they don't believe it. They don't believe what they're saying. When, when you say, when that now iconic picture of Governor Newsom at the French Laundry, which I'm sure you frequented yes, many yeah. times. Um, yeah, once, actually once. Really? Is it good? Uh, it's good. It's long. It's expensive. Oh, okay. Gosh, I know somebody. Claude, we know somebody who's been to the French Laundry. Son of a <laughs> But that iconic picture of him sitting there with the head of the California Medical Association, irony after irony here, and he's got this worried look on his face. I said on TV the other day, I don't think he's worried about getting COVID. I just don't think he is. I think he's wondering whether it's a Chateau Neftipop 58 or a 71. 
but they these guys are really not worried about no. it. They're just telling you, you got to be worried and we're going to shut you down. So Los Angeles has a, uh, a very trendy boutique store called Kitson, K-I-T-S-O-N. It became famous. People like Angelina Jolie shop there and, and it just really became a very big trendy store. And um, they're based in, they're based in Los Angeles and Kitson on their windows of their store have put what they call, it's a person of the year campaign. Instead of like Time Magazine, Kitson has it on there. They had the first picture they had up there on their window in LA. Remember, this is LA in a store that's beholden to to Southern California. Um, A picture of Gavin Newsom with the quote, going to French Laundry. I do not want to sit outside. I want a better table inside with my 22 friends. And the next window, they have one, Mayor Garcetti, and in and, and some of his silly comments. And then he had, they have, you know, Alyssa Milano, where she said, uh, uh, David, uh, uh, you know, call the police. There's a squirrel in our backyard. When she, underneath, they said, when she supported defund the police. So, oh, there's so, a squirrel? A squirrel, a squirrel in her backyard. Okay, okay. And, then, and they went through person after person, pillorying, pillorying them and about their hypocrisy. What's that, what's, it's to your point. If you would expect Kitson to support all the people that kind of made them this iconic boutique sort of store, they are recoiling because one of the Garcetti comments had to do with, you know, you got to let Costco and Walmart and Target stay open when all these other stores are non-essential. And yet all those stores, Costco, Target, and Walmart, sell non-essential items in addition to all the, what somebody deems essential. The, the, the country, in particular, forget the country for a moment, Los Angeles, in, in, which is, you know, in California, which is run by, you know, Newsom and Garcetti and Becerra and Kamala Harris, the people in California are realizing how how silly they they absolutely not real they absolutely know that the politicians who are asserting these rules and regulations do not believe them and they know they're not following them and they're mad. Yeah, um, I mean, I would think you know, I would think a guy with the the vanity of Gavin Newsom, you, and you can see it every time you know, he looks in the camera, which is not as often as he looks in the mirror, but pretty close, I imagine. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't want to die. You know, he wants to continue no. to self-adore. No. So he's yeah. not worried about getting it. Again, I just keep coming back to this. They know, you know, that they're not going to get it. They sit in the French laundry shoulder to shoulder. And then, yeah, and then you got these big stores and little stores. Uh, and, and by the way, the, 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 you know, the, the people of means who can leave California and go down to Mexico, um, they don't want to die either. Um, and yet they're coming down to a to places where there's hotels, there's restaurants, yeah. there's indoor and outdoor activities. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, you know, we used to, we, we, you and I have spent a lot of time talking about the middle class abandoning California. Well, now the wealthy is abandoning California. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Now they, they, they came down, they came down to these places where, you know, uh, there's protocols but they're, they're not trying to put themselves in harm's way, but they, they're just at, at, 12, at midnight tonight in Southern California, there is a, a severe lockdown order that's going into effect and people are getting emails from whatever places that they frequent or they're members of, or they're, they're aware of that 
they're closed. They're for the next three weeks, people are being furloughed. Some people are closing, people are, are losing their jobs. And this is happening at midnight tonight in Southern California. And um, what that means is that three weeks goes straight through Christmas. Oh, yeah. I mean, impossible. So, I mean, a lot of these places were living on the edge anyway, right? Small business, often the margins aren't great. Restaurants, right? Eating establishments, the margin's pretty small, isn't it? Yeah, up in, uh, uh, in I think it's uh, in, in the Valley of L.A. I think it's, I can't remember. I think it's Sherman Oaks or something. It was in the news. A, a, a tavern, a saloon, restaurant was forced to shut down. A block away, um, there was a, um, a, a Hollywood movie shoot where everybody was there and they were serving uh, food, lunch and dinner to all these people that were yeah. working on the Hollywood shoot. Right. And this, this, this woman who owns this restaurant. Marsden, I think. Yeah. And she has outdoor dining shut yes. down. And then she walked the camera and just five feet, 10 feet from her outdoor dining, there are these tents set up for the staff of the movie shoot. They can yes. do it. And she can't. Uh, and, and, and those are, that, that's, that's a very specific item, but I, I want to just reiterate this notion that, that stores like Costco, Walmart, and Target can remain open because they sell essential goods. A substantial amount of what they sell is what would be deemed non-essential. Yeah, right. And every other small business is shut down at the exclusion of them. This is, this, this is just an example of, we all use this word, overused it, tyranny, over and over again. Uh, do you remember Vaclav Havel? Of course you do. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you, I was rereading his 1978 speech. I forget what the title was, but it's about living the lie. I don't know if you remember this, but he talks about walking down the street and seeing signs like, like uh, what'd you say, Kit, Kil, Kilson? Kis, Kilson? Kitson. 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 And, you know, proclamations and billboards. This is under uh, communist Czechoslovakia. And he says, it's a lie. Everything is a lie here, proposed mm -hmm. by this tyrannical government. And we all know it's a lie. And yet we live the lie. And then the final point, I, I'm not sure he makes it, but our, our mutual friend, Brian Kennedy, who's going to be on right after you, sent me a little essay by Theodore Dalrymple about the lie. And it says, and after a while, even though we know it's a lie, people begin to live the lie or act as if they believe the lie. So people who otherwise know better start screaming at other people for not wearing a mask outdoors, for example. Yeah. This has happened to me. It's happened to my family. And um, even those in, in, the, in the center of their brain, they know it's a lie. And this is the, this is the power of the totalitarian state. I was, I was on all in this because I want you to talk, not me. But I was on uh, Fox on Saturday morning talking about the election stuff. And one of the hosts, a woman, said, but, you know, you act as if the left wing, you know, is a cabal of liars. I said, I think I think it is. I think they tell the big lies. I said, I, you know, I, 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 I know these people. Uh, when I was in uh, college, I was, a, you know, a lot of my friends were in SDS. I was a philosophy major. And then I was a philosophy professor. Everyone I knew was on the left. I know how the left thinks. And if you believe that Trump is Hitler and you believe it's okay to do anything, and if you believe the regime is evil and you believe you've got to stamp out all these people, um, then you just keep lying and just keep imposing your will. I want to ask you about a few questions about that and what happens, but just give me your reaction to well, you what know, I just said. 
I believe it was Solzhenitsyn who also said something to that effect of, uh, we know they're lying. They, they know they're lying. We know, they know we know they're lying. They know we know they're lying yet. They continue to lie. Yeah. 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 What was that? What was the, uh, what was the, the, the nuclear thing in Russia? Um, Chernobyl? Chernobyl, yeah, where they, they just kept saying, no problem, right. right? No problem. Go on as before. Yeah. So what's the effect of this? Uh, we know that COVID has affected the election process because we know that COVID affected, you know, all these, this huge increase in mail-in ballots. So there's the COVID event and there's the reaction to that. There's the election event, reaction to that. And half of the country, the country doesn't believe the election was valid. Okay. Like 75% of Republicans, about 25% of Democrats who know, you know, know their own. And a lot of the country knows there's lies going on in regard to what you and I are just talking about. What happens then in such a country? The short answer is there's revolt and revolt takes different forms. However, that that's too simplistic Um, because I'm, you know, I'm very optimistic about, America and American citizens. Yep. And I'm, I love our opportunity. You know, we have 19,000 places, jurisdictions to live in America. Um, what's going to happen, is, what is happening is um, people have a tendency to say, to think about places, cities. We talk about cities all the time, LA, San Francisco, New York, Chicago, Seattle, blah, blah, blah. We, we act as if those are the prominent places. It's not true. What's important and what liberty and what America has provided is opportunity for people. So if you think about this in the terms of what will happen to people, there's no connection to these places. They're going to go other places and they're going to go places where they can do the things that they want to do and they believe is okay. They're just simply not going to, if you're in a, a, a European or an Asian or a communist or a Middle Eastern country where there's only one government, one totalitarian regime, you have no choice. In America, we have a choice. Nobody needs to be around Gavin Newsom or Mayor Garcetti or de Blasio or Cuomo or any of these people, or even Pritzker in, but for God's sake, Pritzker in Illinois. Illinois. Thankfully, his grandfather was a multi-billionaire. So now he gets to tell people how to live. So nobody needs to be there. And we're witnessing that they're not going to stay there. They're going somewhere else. But don't you need, in a lot of cases, resources to go somewhere else? I mean, if you bought, first of all, it's hard to uproot. You know, your kids, you got friends, you schools, you got, you bought a yeah. house. I don't know if you bought a house in L.A. and now you want to sell it. Would you, will you get your value back? Ah, well, that's so that's so. Yes. Great point. All these cities I mentioned, hardly anybody owns a house. I mean, you're a poor person or a middle-class person. You're renting. That's the beauty of America right now. People are paying three to $5,000 a month to rent some sort of place where a bunch of people live in it and they're stacked on top of each other. Guess what happens when you uproot from those cities paying, call it $4,000 a month, and you move somewhere else and your mortgage payment is $1,500 a month. You are saving Day one, more than $2,000 per month, $24,000 per year. It is a massive, you know. And you're gaining value. Elected officials would like to tell you, you know, don't own a home. It's going to ruin the environment. 
you know, we want to, they call it, uh, uh, Wendell Cox is a great researcher, uh, calls it the city containment um, policy. Everyone needs to be contained within an urban area and you can't live anywhere else because you're going to ruin the world. Um, guess what? When people are not contained in those places, they don't own a home anyways. They're paying an astronomical amount of rent. And furthermore, there's something called the, uh, the overcrowding index, which measures how many people live per room. There's like 333 zip codes in America that have this overcrowding problem. A third of them are in California. Yeah. You know, so, you know, you, so you have, you have all this, this, this stuff people are, and then economists would like to say, there's no evidence that when you own a home, you're going to create family wealth. Okay. Let's argue about that. What we know factually today is the minute you move out of one of those places where you don't own a home, you're saving $2,000 a month for every thousand people who do that. That is a family savings of $24 million a year. Think of that for a second. For every thousand people who. Oh, every thousand, but it's 24 million, right? 24 million a year. Plus, you're getting equity in that house, right? And plus, you're getting equity, but let's presume you never get equity. Okay. The day you move. Now, you know what happens when someone saves $24,000 a year? Uh, an annual uh, an annual uh, uh, work uh, hourly work is about two thousand, a little over two thousand hours. That's a twelve dollar per hour increase of your. That's an interesting way to look at so it. We have politicians arguing over whether or not the minimum wage should be fifteen dollars, twelve dollars, eighteen twenty. The minute someone leaves one of these godforsaken, pathetically run jurisdictions, municipal jurisdictions in America, they're making twelve dollars per hour more take home. Yeah. And you know what? None of the people that are, by the way, when I say every thousand people, they say that we're, this is in the millions. We know right now how many millions of people are actually doing what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not here persuading people to do this. I'm just witnessing the evidence of what people are already doing. They instinctively, I don't care if they are, I don't care if they're uh, what race they are. I don't care what gender they are. I don't care if they went to high school, college or postgraduate school. They're all making these choices right before our eyes. Yeah. Now, the problem that I know that you know more than anyone about is, will the media report this? Of course not. Will the elected officials acknowledge this? Of course not. Will they change their policies? Of course not. None of that's going to happen can you i I was going to get to this question at the end but let me ask it now can you could you change with all the anger in california could you change the government of california used to be a republican state right used to be pretty safe can you can you right can you change the government of california if people aren't being told the truth if the media don't tell the truth is it sufficient to have the squeeze for people to know it's a lie for people to know they're getting ripped off or do you also need a freer media for people to? You can't change it policy wise. It has to. It absolutely has to be a freer media. Um, people are so entrenched in. When, when, that would be like saying when Stalin was uh, running the Soviet. Yeah. How long, can it be changed? Sure, over about four decades. Okay. 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 Uh, back to COVID. But when um, people were under Stalin, they couldn't leave. People are under Gavin Newsom, they can leave. Still have that. A stay-at-home order doesn't mean you can't move, does it? Of course you can move. You can get up and leave. 
They can't stop you. They can't yet. Now I'm sure that someone's going to try to pass legislation. To yeah, I was, I was sorry I said it. Someone heard that. <laughs> I'm going to put it in the hopper in the state legislature in California. Of course, if to do that, to move from California to Nevada or Texas, you're going to have to get a U-Haul. And it costs like, what, 20 times more to move well, to that's Texas? Like, it used to cost 20 times more. I don't even know if you can get one now. To move to I Austin. I think what you're going to have to do is buy a, uh, a truck. Buy like a, a sprinter van or a truck or whatever and move your stuff yourself. Unbelievable. Back to COVID. Um, I heard some people in the governor's office saying, we understand these uh, strictures are tough. Stay at home and all that. But we've got to slow down the COVID. The COVID the record number of cases. Uh, I saw a chart with the emergency rooms and the uh, intensive care units. Uh, space is at a, at, a, at, a, at a premium in the hospitals. So we got to take drastic action. Sorry for the drastic action, but we got to take it. <laughs> what? What? What's funny? Um, there's 182 countries in this world, <laughs> generally plus or minus. Uh, one of them happens to be uh, uh, north of us, Canada. The other one happens to be south of us, Mexico. None of them are doing what they're what they're describing. Yeah. What is this? Why, why, why the totalitarian impulse in a free country? Where does this come from? There's an instinct for freedom, you know, live free or die, uh, liberty, uh, you know, the, wh- wh- where does this come from? You know, you, uh, what is this well, virus? What is this political the, virus? Uh, you wrote the American Patriots Almanac. Yeah. 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 And, uh, every day I get the, today's, uh, yeah. Today, Pearl Harbor. Yeah. And, well, last week, there was Mark Twain. That's right. Who in 1890, as you know, you can recite it, what he gave this, uh, this, this talk, just furious and angry at the ingratitude of Europe over why America was, a, was really not a very cultural civilization. Right. Why it was really right. not even a civilization. Right. And what Mark Twain said, and you can, you can say it better than me and remember it better, that what we did in America is we were the first group of people to create human liberty. Yeah. He was describing America founded human liberty. Yeah. And he went through how, well, after we did that, other countries kind of did the same in a smaller yeah. scale. Yeah. Anybody who thinks, and by the way, I think that's instructive today because the people you're describing, the progressive left, think America is a bad place. Well, if, if I wish people would read Mark Twain's comment okay. in your uh, Good. Because they they have a notion because he was he was describing before that because everyone would like to say well there's these problems with america but before that everything in the world was a tyrannical government or a monarchy basically there was no experiment experience in the world of human liberty at all yeah. and we were the first to do that now if someone doesn't like someone wants control wants power you're not going to have control and power over several multi several generations if you have human liberty. And I and back to your comment about what do uh, what do what what does the left think? Do they really think that way? Are they lying? Well, it's okay for them to lie because their goal is control and power and dominance. And I, I defy anybody to explain to me what what they do, which is different from that. I mean, yeah. even something so simplistic like. A, a city where Wendell Cox talks about, you know, urban containment. How do you create a city and no one else gets to gets to live 
the first thing you do is you take all their water, take all the water and say, the only person that can use it is a city. And by the way, over history, that's how all these countries over the last several thousand years have maintained control over their population. Every river, the Danube River, the Tigris Euphrates, the Nile, the rivers in India and in Pakistan. It's a very simple, simple method. Where's that being done in the U.S.? Every city, like L.A., Los Angeles. Explain, explain. Los Angeles Metropolitan Water District. Southern California has historically been a very dry place. We've had fires over a over known civilization. It used to be called the, uh, the fog, the, the fire fog, because every year there was burning in California and the, and the smoke went over the ocean because it's dry. Well, how are you going to have 40 million people live in a state when there's no water? What you do is you take water from other places and you put it through canals and you say the person, the group that owns all the water, San Diego, L.A., those areas, they take the water, they buy the water, they legislate the water. So where the only use of the water for, for urban populations is under their control. Colorado River, Northern California. Um, that's, you know, people like to live where it's sunny and hot. They don't like to live where it's rainy and snowy. Yeah. So that's, so that's just, uh, but, but that's uh, uh, historically how, how, you know, people who want to maintain control and power, how they do it. It's, it's, it's easier than trying to convince the population. I, here's a philosopher's question. I know you'll say I can answer it better than you, but I don't think so. Do you have to teach people to love liberty or is it born, born in people? Um, I'll give you a, a little bit of an answer. Now, I, Burke said, I was thinking of it when you said what you said. Liberty is the greatest idea ever struck off by the mind of man. Greatest idea ever struck off by the mind. It took a while to get to it, but, but we got to it. Um, Madison says that there is nothing that will keep the country going more than the fertile activity of a free people. You got to love that phrase, Joel, the fertile activity of a free people. That. That's your life. That's your life. It's so much world. too fertile, <laughs> but supposing you don't teach it to the next generation, does it arise in their breast anyway? Um, souls and Eatson, And you made me think of that great thing about interviewing you is you make me think of things I knew, but forgot. So Zanitsyn said they couldn't put it out in the gulag. People still wanted to be free in the gulag where he was. But he said, but I worry, this was his Harvard speech, that in a free society, a free society that amuses itself, that cares so much about material things, he, as you know, was a deeply religious man. It may be a greater threat. Liberty and freedom may be a greater threat because comfort becomes the, the all, all important good. Remember that ad? I think it was during the Clinton administration. It was a government ad about from birth to death, how the government can help you. Yeah. You know, a government hospital in the garden, they'll help you with a grant, and then the government will do this, and then the government will take care of your, of your, uh, of your children, will raise your children. We'll have pre-K from two years old on through high school, through college, which will be paid for. We see that. And then eventually the, the government will bury you. If you set it up that way and you say, we'll take care of you, just give us the power to take care of you and we'll take care of you. Will people rebel if they're not taught? You know where I'm coming from. Yeah, because you know yeah. what I do for a living. Is it in the human heart? Is it in the human breast? Is it in the heart of an American? 
Is it in our genes? Is it in our DNA? Or do we have to teach it? Or do we have to, is it both? Uh, both. We, we have to remain vigilant. I mean, uh, we, uh, Franklin said we've given you a republic if you could keep it. Yeah, right. Abraham Lincoln, before he, he became president, was describing you know, the, the innovation and the, and the activities of humans in 18, of Americans in the 1850s. He, he said the one immeasurable quotient is human endurance and innovation. Yeah. He recognized that that's something that a, a, a person right, has, right, a East right. American has. However, if it is taught to you that to, I mean, China teaches their population this all the time. If you think of yourself, you're selfish. You, 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 it's, it's just wrong. So that can be taught. Um, if it's, if it's uh, turned into uh, uh, illegal activity, to think for yourself as a, I mean, with masks, what do we hear right now? Uh, just because you're healthy, if you do not wear a mask, you are hurting someone else you don't know. Right. So those kinds of messages are pervasive in times like this. And quite frankly, they're pervasive all the time. They're just more acute right now. Um, I am, though, optimistic because I have that inherent gene in me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I talk to, with, with social media and, and, and technology, I talk to you know, kids in their 20s, a lot of them, my kids and their friends and very smart kids, they are aware at what the technology that is going on does to manipulate and control population. They're way more aware than people of yours and my generation. And I'm pretty happily surprised at their recoiling over that. Good, good, good. I hope good. Is there a lot of them? No, but as our friend, Mr. Kennedy has said to you and me all the time, it doesn't take everyone to do this. It takes a very focused, vigilant um, pers- a per, you know, uh, a group of people who are persistent. Right, pay right. Pay attention to these things. Um, that, your question, uh, it, you know, we spent most of, the civilization has been spent most of its time without human liberty. Right. So, I don't know about the philosophical side, but the but the empirical side is yeah. it's very rare. That's a great that's a great quote from a law professor at the University of Texas, where I was, Lino Graglia, and he says, "In the long story of inhumanity and misery, the American achievement is high and unique." Yes, we have taught the world the great lesson that we are better off without kings than with them. We're watching The Crown. This is the series on, and I'm both interested because of a kind of individual personal level. It's an interesting story. I'm also appalled. I'm kind of with the, the radicals who are saying, what, what do we need this for? You know, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I, said to, I said to Mrs. Bennett, you see these people? I said, they may be some of them personally charming, but we don't need this. We don't need a monarchy. That's why we broke away. You're right. Most of the world did live like that and could live like that again. Okay, final question. And we're sort of setting up our friend, mutual friend, Mr. Kennedy here. What's going to happen? Let's assume we have a Biden presidency. Okay. So he comes in and, you know, we know, we know what they're going to do already. You know, they're going to reenter the Paris Accords. They're going to pre-kindergarten, pre-pre-kindergarten. What, what was his first thing he said the other day? A hundred days of masks. Well, boy, what a great start. 
What an appetizing yeah. beginning that is, huh? Oh, I look forward to that. Yeah. What will happen? You said um, you quoted his uh, attorney general. What is it? Resist and what? Resist and persist. Yeah. Um, so um, what's going to, that's what's going to happen. If, if, if president, if possible president Biden comes into office and he and his cabinet and his appointees think they are going to impose these kinds of rules and regulations and restrictions and obligations on free American citizens. He only needs to look at places like New York and California and Seattle, Washington, and places like that where people are saying, you said earlier, in order to move, you got to do a lot of things. You got to uproot your family. You got to find a new schools. You got to buy a new place. You got to do all that stuff. Guess what? That's a lot. That's by the way, that's not just checking a box and answering a poll. That's an action. Yeah. And guess what? We have millions of people today. We have the evidence. We have the data. Millions yeah, no, it's a great point. Are leaving, and they're and in, pre, you know, Biden, Harris, Sarah, those people, they're not going to be able to impose their will on American citizens. It's not going to happen. If if you can do the things they have been doing, why can't you say uh, until this uh, epidemic or pandemic uh, uh, or these hard times are over? You can't leave. <laughs> they will. They will, won't they? They'll try that, yeah. won't they? Yeah, yeah. P- I, every single, you cannot move to Texas. Every single week from, again, California, middle class for leaving. Now, upper class is leaving. Okay. Um, every single week, my wonderful friends and colleagues tell me they can't do this. They can't do this again. They can't do okay. more than this. Okay. This is crazy. Okay. No, they can and they will. Exit tax. I mean, it wouldn't say you can't move to Texas. It would say for everybody who plans to leave the state, you have to pay an exit tax. Well, they're already working on that. So Mr. Becerra, when he became attorney general, there was a, this is, it seems like it was years ago. It was only two years ago. They were arguing about, um, uh, you know, immigration and DACA and things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. California, he imposed a assembly bill 450, which said businesses are not allowed to give the federal government uh, certain documentation and evidence that they demand and require for people who work for them. Federal government said, you must do this. So in his campaign, the businesses says, please explain to us how we reconcile violating state law or federal law in this situation, what do we do? It wasn't like we hate this law. We, we just, we're going to, no matter what we do, we're going to violate some law. His answer, his answer was, I'm not restricting you. I'm just telling you what the law is. And it, for what you do, his quote was use your common sense. Yeah. Unquote. Yeah. Now he's not a stupid guy. Yeah. He knows absolutely what he was saying, but he was unwilling to answer it. He was unwilling to give guidance. And if anyone wonders why businesses in California are packing up and leaving, it's as much for things like that as anything else they hear or read. The first question you you answered, I mean, I just want to just rehearse it again. I said, it's hard to leave. You know, you give up neighborhood, you give up friends, neighbors, maybe school, memories. If not your house, your your apartment, that's no big deal, as you said. But it's still hard. Nevertheless, they're doing it. They're doing it. When all of your money is going to exist, it makes the choice easier. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Bill.
You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Let's jump in with Brian Kennedy. He's the president of the American Strategy Group and chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. Brian, we set the stage. We were just talking to Mr. Farkas and um, I want to get into the election stuff. But I was saying, he was saying people are leaving California. And um, I said, but it's hard to leave. You know, it's hard to leave a place if you've grown up in it or your family's been there for a long time. He said, yeah, but, you know, a lot of the people who are leaving are, you know, middle class people. They don't own, they rent. I, he, I said, still, it's hard because of memories, attachments, neighborhoods, neighbors, habits. He said, yep, and yet they leave. And he pointed out now, he said, he said, you know, the middle class is leaving. Now the rich people are leaving because uh, it's just too much. Uh, I then said, what happens when half the country doesn't believe the election was fair. 70% of Republicans, something like 20% of Democrats, more than 50%. And a very large part of the country believes our public officials, governors, mayors, are lying to us. That was the question that we, we explored. And I want you to comment on that, but we can wait till the end because I just want, we didn't talk much about the election, but, but I, I want to ask you about that. Where do we stand Start with public opinion. Where do people, what do people think and what should they think? And I should say, I, I, you won't brag on yourself, but I will. You've been very close to this process. I know you've been in Arizona. I know you've been in Nevada. Uh, you've talked to people who are, you know, on the legal team, the forensic team. Where are we? Uh, well, great to be with you, Bill. I think where we are is that this week, especially, all hell's going to break loose. I think because you're going to have a series of court cases that are, you know, some are being filed, some are yet to be filed, some have been filed, and they await a response, for instance, in Pennsylvania. I think a lot of the evidence that was being discussed over the last several weeks, you know, people people were saying, where's the evidence for, for, the, uh, for all this election fraud? I think that's coming to light. Those videos you've seen on TV... Uh, more talk about Dominion voting systems. I mean, all these things are going to add up to the point where people are going to ask either the Supreme Court to make a profound decision, or they're going to ask that their state legislatures actually get together and figure out what in the heck went on, but that they sense that this was not fair. I think they always kind of think that there's, you know, some, some nefariousness somewhere, but not at this level. People could feel all this election season, that Trump had a lot of support. You know, the momentum that was building at the end was powerful. And then the day of the election, you know, we everybody who watched any of it on TV saw Trump winning. And then that odd thing happened that's been talked about ad nauseum. They stopped the vote, said they were going to pick it up in the morning. And it turned out they kept on counting. And when morning came, it was either close or Joe Biden was winning. And people just looked at that and they thought, that cannot be right. And citizens all over this country joined together to try to figure that out with the legal teams, with politicians. And I think it's taken a month, you know, turns out, takes about a month to sort all this stuff out. But now after a month, they're getting the answers. And the, the whoever did all this, whether it was the left more broadly or the Biden campaign specifically, or a combination thereof, I think they thought, President Trump was just going to concede and move on. And he did. He dug in his heels. He said, he said, let's look at this evidence. And as every day goes by, they found more and more just outright theft of an election. And I think this is the most dangerous time in our country's history 
partly because people's confidence in the system is being shaken. The most dangerous time in our nation's history, that's a lot of history, includes the Civil War. Yeah, well, even in the Civil War, I, I think there was much more, much more friendliness, if I could put it that way, between the North and the South. They had their disagreements, obviously. They, those were profound. Slavery was a very serious thing. And uh, I don't mean to, to make light of that at all, but we were a young country and our enemies couldn't exploit to the degree they could today our weakness and our division. And we were able to get through the Civil War and rebuild the country and create, continue the greatest country on earth. Now we're in a position to where it's not a obviously a geographic divide. It's an ideological divide yeah. in a very profound way. And the parts of our government that look to be involved in this, mainly the intelligence community, who looks to be complicit in much of this, is a big part of what our government does. And, and that strikes me as dangerous because just, you know, we're a bigger country. The level of corruption is deeper. Our enemies are more powerful. And the weakness that this has created just because of the division makes it, uh, well, both unusual, people can't quite get their minds wrapped around it. But I think our enemies who are partly responsible for it are looking to take advantage. And President Trump's vigilance about this has been in part, I think, a uh, just, just a simple response to the danger he perceives that could happen if we allow this election to be stolen. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, we're not going let to it, let it be stolen. By the way, I just want to compliment the president. I, I predicted on a Saturday morning on TV, because everybody was saying, oh, he's going to mess it up and he's not going to talk about the Senate race in Georgia. He's just going to complain about his own situation. He talked about his situation and the things you've just mentioned, but he was four square and all in for the election of uh, Purdue and Leffler. So, you know, he put that aside for the sake of the, the country. He put aside his own complaints, but he didn't put them aside for long or for very far. Uh, one comment I'd, I'd make, you and I have talked about this before, but I think you're right about civil war. I mean, I tore the country apart. I don't think we're going to have hundreds of thousands of dead people as a result of this disagreement. But the disagreement is real. And it's, you know, the civil war is a disagreement about slavery, basically, and a couple other things. But most people in the North and the South agreed on the United States. They agreed on, God, uh, they were God-fearing, family-loving, industrious, perseverant. Didn't think government should have to take care of you. Um, we were a group of people a few months ago, and I came home and I said to Mrs. Bennett, I don't think I agreed with that couple on anything, anything, <laughs> whether it be chi child rearing, you know, the military, business, whatever. So I think those disagreements are profound. Can, me, can I make a point? Can, yeah, can I make yeah, a yeah, point, yeah. though, in, in back, about, about the Civil War? You said we wouldn't have hundreds of thousands of Americans dying, but of course we do with COVID, right? Yeah. And was that just a... Was not that young just... ones, not young ones. And I know that's a distinction the media hates, but it matters to me. We all we all grieve grandpa, but our 20-year-old grandson who goes to uh, goes to war and dies, we, we the pain lasts longer. Go ahead. Yes, and you and I are in total agreement about that. Not to diminish but, the significance of losing anyone, right? Yeah, no, it, I'm actually not, you know, a lot, as we know, a lot of the people who died from COVID would have died anyway. Right. I'm looking at all the destruction of lives, even if they yeah. haven't lost their yeah. lives yet, yeah. of these young people you've been talking about so eloquently who are not in school, yeah. Yeah. who are getting screwed up, all of that because of COVID. 
Now, if COVID came from communist China, which everyone believes it does, and COVID was here to manipulate the way Americans think about their own safety and security, it forced the government to do this unprecedented thing and lock down the country, get us all wearing masks, and they created the condition for both mass hysteria, mass confusion, mass mail-in voting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, when we talk about a civil war, civil war doesn't have to be, you know, two groups with with rifles against one another. This civil war is looking like it was the American people versus a political, a kind of political elite in the United States that was joined with communist China or at least enabled the CCP virus to be used against the American people to both manipulate them and to change our politics. Now, this is a multifaceted kind of civil war. And and perhaps I'm not even doing it justice, but uh, this is, I mean, we have gone through a period where not only have people died from this virus, but their lives have been changed in ways that are very destructive. I drive down the street and I see business after business closed, never to be reopened. You're a Californian. I'm a Californian, but I see it all over the country. We talked. We talked a lot about that with uh, with Joel, and I, I don't want to cut you off on it, but I want to come back to the election. Uh, this may seem odd, but I just came across this. I think these facts, these numbers, are very interesting. I know you're aware of them. Uh, separation between Trump and Biden, Nevada, thirty-three thousand votes, as it stands now, in terms of the quote official count. Arizona, ten thousand. Wisconsin, twenty thousand. Michigan, one hundred fifty-four thousand. Pennsylvania, 80,000. Georgia, 60,000. I mean, obviously, those are that's the official reports. But compared to the number of votes, even if you buy that, that those margins are pretty slim. S- supposing, I'm going to ask you to do a little John Eastman work here, Brian. Supposing Alito says, okay, man, you know, they messed up in Pennsylvania. Only the legislators can do this, and they changed the rules, and so this is invalid. What happens to the, the – can he stop the uh, the delegates from – uh, choosing Biden? Can he order that? How, how does it work? And then I, I, we, we can try to get John Eastman on the pod too, though. I don't want to slow yeah, him right. down. Yeah, sure. you know? yeah. But how does it work? And how would that affect other uh, states if he found it only in Pennsylvania? Or do you have to find a similar thing in each of those states to slow it down? And here's where I think uh, one, John might be, be, well, John would certainly be better at this, but uh, I spoke to him last night, actually, and we were going over all this. And That's the part that's unclear, that you could either tell a state your electoral votes don't count, in which case all the citizens in your state may feel like they've been disenfranchised, or you can tell the electors or the the legislature to say you sit the electors because you're the closest, closest thing we now have to the representative of the people. You decide which one would you like to do. And the common sense of that would be I think the state legislature would say, we're going we're gonna to examine the facts. Was there fraud here? If there was fraud here, and we can make a judgment about who actually won, we're going to sit the electors. Now, I can see a state legislature also saying, you know, I may be a Republican, I may be a Democrat, but I cannot figure out what the heck went on. And I can see people voting not to sit electors and just go, go with the election uh, without 
the state of Pennsylvania or the state of Michigan or the state of Georgia. But say, but say you went without the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, obviously, the glib response is, well, even if you take Pennsylvania's count out, he's, Biden's still over 270. How does the decision in Pennsylvania affect the, the overall outcome? You have to well, subtract a, a few other states, yeah. too, to get to it. Oh, absolutely. But, of course, that's what's going on. There's a case in Georgia, and there's okay. a case in Michigan and Wisconsin. And, look, I, I don't think people fully appreciate the kind of evidence they're uncovering, the kind of the kind of wrongdoing that went on here is both industrial level ballot stuffing, where these mail-in ballots may not even have been printed in this country. They were mass produced in various places and brought in to various parts of the country. You, I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. This is not the this is not the one or two people here or there. This is, these are companies who have taken the voter rolls and simply print off, printed off tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of ballots and then inserted them into the system. Because what's to stop somebody from printing off 10,000 ballots, sign them, and send them, put them in the mail and send them in? Nothing. And this, this happened all over the country. And that's not even counting the manipulation that went on when the votes were counted and uh, ballots were able to be moved from, from Trump to Biden. I mean, it, it, th this is amassing right now. And oh, so, by the way, it's only in the last couple of days. It's only in the, the fifth and sixth that people were actually able to look inside the computers in some of these places, not all these places, but in some of these places to see what was actually going on in these Dominion computers. I was part of a forensic team in Clark County, Nevada on Wednesday, I was an observer who was watching to see what went on. And the county registrar in Clark County, Nevada, a Democrat, Joe Gloria, he led us in the room. There were, there were nine of us. They had lawyers from the Trump campaign. They had lawyers from the Biden campaign. And he showed us the machines and he showed us the back room where the counting went on. And he showed us all the thumb drives and we could look at them, but we couldn't actually plug them into a computer to see if they actually worked, to see what actually went on. And there was, you know, judges were called and DAs were called and there was just a, a real back and forth. And at the end of the day, they resisted openness and transparency and we're not going to let people see what went on. Now that's changing around the country. They're getting a look in, they're, they're actually being able to plug these things turn them on, plug them in and see what happened. They've done that in Michigan. They've done that in Georgia. And I think they're going to do that in the next few days in Wisconsin. And the state legislature in Arizona is calling today for an actual forensic audit, an independent forensic audit of the whole system. I mean, I think everybody should have the view that, you know, openness and transparency is what matters. Let's, 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 let's have sunshine here and let's see what actually went on. Let's turn the machines on. Let's print out the reports. Let's look at the software. What is possible? And I think if honest people do that, they're going to see that manipulation of the vote occurred. They're going to see that dead people voted. They're going to see that there were thousands and thousands, in some states, tens of thousands, in other states, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of mail-in ballots that are fraudulent. And 
I think honest people, when they see that, will think this has to be done by a state legislature, or there has to be a revote, or there has to be something that gives justice here. And the other side was banking entirely on this short window of time between the end of the election, the so-called safe harbor of the Electoral College, and January 20th. But of course, the Amistad Project um, with the Thomas More Society just came out with a paper that said, in fact, you know, the only thing that's the real deadline is January 20th, and we should be deciding it. We, I mean, look, don't people want justice? Don't don't people want the real person to win? I want to pause on that. What's the argument? I thought your deadline, the deadline for those objecting, would be what the 14th of December when the electors are chosen. No. Well, yes, in theory, yes, but again. Uh, we know that the the Constitution is not a suicide pact. Justice we also we also know that on December fourteenth or December thirteenth, you know, the night before, if they say the electors are this, but on the morning of December fourteenth, we had a massive amount of evidence that showed that the entire thing was fraudulent. Now I think they will know that well before then. But let's say on December twentieth, after after they've already voted. You know, there was a bombshell discovery of just mass voter manipulation, ballot manipulation. Would everyone just throw up their hands and say, well, too bad, you missed the window. The electors already voted. That's it. Well, not everybody, but in a lot of these states, you know, you said last two days, people have been given clearance, permission, opportunity to look. Some of this has come from judges, courts, right? Right. Supposing the judges and courts say, no, it's over. It's the 14th. It's over. Forget it. Well, that's very possible too, um, but I genuinely believe that the Supreme Court of the United States, who in the interest of justice, if they were presented with arguments that whatever had been voted on by the Electoral College had been done so without adequate uh, consideration of all the relevant facts, I would think the Supreme Court would have to, to void that vote. By the way, I think that the... Eastman litigation uh, on behalf of the president, I think that may well push the 14th somewhere down the line, too. Okay. I think the court could easily say, yes, December December 14th is the time, but we are going to suspend that date until such time as we have state legislators sitting the electors or some something like that. Again, I, I, maybe a question for Eastman, but I, I don't want to bother him. I want to bother you. No, he's, he's still <laughs> he's still writing it as we speak. Well, you could maybe get a quick call. Could an Alito, who seems so far sympathetic to you know these these charges, I mean, he's not as a rule, but could he say, okay, I'm looking at Pennsylvania, and obviously inappropriate things went on, hijinks of major sort, not just retail, this that, but systematic. Um, misrepresentations, ballot harvesting, and f- false uh, ballots, b- ballots that were brought in the middle of the night. So they got to do it over in Pennsylvania, or they got to do something in Pennsylvania, or the legislature has to figure out what it wants to do with the electors. And in light of what happened in Pennsylvania, because the argument is, well, all right, take away those 20 electoral votes, whatever they are. And in light of what happened in Pennsylvania, can Alito say, I think we ought to look at Michigan and Arizona and Nevada too, see if similar things went on. I think well, I, I don't think so. I think he I think he would have to be it would have to be brought before him those individual states. Okay. Okay. But I also think the president let me be clear, I also think the president's uh lawsuit 
will require an examination of those other states. Okay. And so it will it, it will wrap similar into, to what's happening in Pennsylvania or similar. Right. I think it's 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 going to wrap into itself. I mean it, that that lawsuit will make sure that if there are the, these contests, as it were, in Georgia and let's just say the swing states, that you're not going to be able to sit electors until those contests are resolved. And, that, and if a state and, and if a state can prove that they ran an honest election, then great. And that lawsuit is going to the Supreme Court. Yes, the original jurisdiction of that would be the Supreme Court. So it wouldn't matter Look, if a local judge said no, 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 no. no. Okay. No, they're, they're looking. I mean, look, supremacy just, clause uh, here, I guess. OK, yeah. The original jurisdiction. I mean, you're, you're talking. Uh, I've, I've heard uh, a couple different legal groups talking about having some states sue other states on, uh-huh. the ground, on, on the ground that, you know, my state ran the, ran our election legally and we didn't have a problem and my citizens voted. And we can demonstrate how this was an honest election. But what about these swing states? Did these swing states conspire to steal an election from a president by not running honest elections? Yeah. And so we would like the original. Now, the court doesn't have to take this up. Right. But the original jurisdiction would be in the Supreme Court. And if I'm the Supreme Court, it's typical not to try to entertain new evidence but you could have, in theory, a magistrate examine all sorts of evidence from all these states and make determinations. In our history, I mean, in our recent history, we haven't had this, but in American history, we've had these things. Yeah. And I, I guess one thing for, for the audience would be just to ask themselves the question, can states conspire to steal an election? Sure, sure. Is that possible? Sure. And. I think I think I, you know I don't know whether they even had to conspire. I think that I think the hatred for President Trump I agree, by, the, yeah. by the American left. I mean, yeah. they all whatever whatever it took to win, that was their attitude. Well, it's common sense and smell test too. Uh, I was on Fox Saturday. I said, you know, why why was the clock stopped in all these places? Why why? Because somebody's toilet ran over. That was the argument in Georgia. I think. Why do you need a thick black cloth to cover a bunch of ballots after you've sent people out? Why? Why did all the bellwether states predict wrong when they've always predicted right in the past? How could you get a tranche of ballots that had, up until that time, it was maybe 57, 43, 52, 48, and all of a sudden you get tranches of ballots in these battleground states, which are 94% for Biden and 6% for Trump? Just how does that happen? Prima facie, it looks and smells bad. Look into it. And I guess the amazing thing to me is the dismissal by people. Um, Frivolous lawsuits. Frivolous. You know, another lying, frivolous, stupid lawsuit. Unsubstantiated claims. Unsubstantiated claims. That's that's the popular one. But here's the real real, uh, crisis. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Where where was the federal government taking what you just said that it doesn't look right? Where was somebody in the FBI saying, you know, this doesn't look right? This looks like they're trying to steal an election. We better use the resources of the FBI to investigate this because this looks like voter fraud on a massive scale. And that's a crime. 
And that's a crime. And that's a, it, not only is it a crime, but it's a destruction of our republic. Yeah. And where was the FBI? Was the FBI waiting for evidence? Aren't they the ones who are supposed to get the evidence? Where was the Department of Homeland Security and its cyber uh, crime unit? And there's a, there's an integrity unit within the within the Department of Homeland Security, and they said this was the most honest election in the history of the country. And they issued that report, and that report was from the Department of Homeland Security's cyber industry group. Now, the cyber industry group are all the people who put on the elections. Literally, quite literally, all the corporations that are in the election business, they're the Department of Homeland Security's, you know, committee. They said it was the most honest election of all time. Well, that's not, that's no great surprise. Dominion and ESS and Hart and all these other companies that do this, they have every interest in saying this is an honest election. Of course, of course. And the real scandal is the Department of Homeland Security agreed with that. Yeah. This guy Krebs. Yeah. This guy. Yeah. And so okay. what was up? And president fires him because obviously Krebs himself doesn't like the president. I want to ask want you, the president reelected. I want to close with two sort of large perspective. By the way, if all hell does break loose this week, don't turn your phone off. Okay. We'll want to get back to you. Okay. Yes. You bet. And maybe, maybe you can, you can get Eastman to come on this podcast for 10 minutes and explain some of these questions. Though, again, I don't want to end it fear with his time. I hate to keep saying his time's more important than your time, but his time right now is more important than both our time and everybody else's time. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. No, I what no, happens. Look, I, I, yeah. What happens? Let me ask it this way. What happens if doesn't work? Just doesn't work. We're running out of time and January comes. The courts don't buy it. Supreme Court doesn't buy it enough. Biden's be the president. But these things are still out there. You know, I was I quoted Galileo on Saturday. You know, they pounded him and pounded him. Our church, your church, and my church. At the end, he said, "Yeah, yeah, I got, I got it." But yet, it moves. You know, the earth moves. You know, and so at the end of this, Biden, these appeals don't work. All hell doesn't break loose, and half the country goes to bed on January, mid late January, uh, not believing this election was fair. Then what happens? I think you'll see the rapid dissolution of the United States into disparate parts. I think you'll see people move out of states into places where they think they can be governed fairly. Mm. And they will try to form new constitutional republics that they think will defend their rights. Wow. And so I, I don't say that lightly. Uh, and I'm not a, I, I guess you would say I'm a, a bad loser. And I'm a bad loser. What's that? Okay. What's that one saying? What was that? Was that Vince Lombardi? Show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. Yeah. This would be a case where you simply saw that justice was not served. Yeah. And that the Republican form of government we had was not adequate to deal with the theft of an election. And you will wonder, especially given the COVID lockdown and yeah. the absolute yeah. craziness yeah. Yeah. and embrace of the Democrat Party of these radical COVID policies. Right. Right. You will think. I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else. And once you get to that somewhere else and the federal government means to intrude, I think you will find people who say, I think it's time to form a new country. Okay. That's how dangerous this is. Okay. I, 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 would sort of, I would sort of close that point, though, on, on this one thing, which is our system of government requires men of good faith to actually act in honest 
yeah. in responsible ways. What happens when half of the country simply is not willing right. to play by Republican forms of government? Yeah, I think it's 55. You know, I did a lot of work on Madison in the old days, and I was going to write a book and then realized it had already been written. But Madison talks about, you know, factions expand the size of the Republic, you know, Federalist 10. And we have the separation of powers, uh, the branches of government. But I think it's Federalist 55 where he says, but of course, in the end, these are all auxiliary precautions. This kind of republic depends more than any other on the virtue of the people. That doesn't mean they're all saints, but they will be protective in the end, at the end of the day of their liberties. And that's the point you're making here. If they're not, then all those other auxiliary precautions won't matter. Let me comment on that if you wish, but I want to ask you the other way. So people will move. They'll try to start new forms of constitution. Supposing the courts find it and they overthrow, overturn it, and we take votes again or delegates or whatever, and Trump wins, what will happen to the country then? Don't tell me dissolution of the government because then you're going to say dissolution of the society. So then you're going to tell me the bad news, we're going to dissolve either way. No, I don't No, I don't think we will. I mean, look, I think... Because they know they did it. Because they know. Yes, absolutely. Everybody saw what you were, the the smell test you're describing. Everybody everybody knows that. Everybody knows that happened. Everybody knows how popular Trump was. Joe Biden didn't campaign. This whole thing looks fishy. Yeah. And so I think, I think the American left is going to say, okay, well, I guess that didn't work. And people will nod their heads and they'll move on. I was just in Nevada. And in Nevada, there are a lot of stories of, of Democrat, you know, poll workers laughing about how they ripped off the election. And so when yeah. that become when that becomes part of the the discussion, that's not healthy either. So right. look, I think I, I think I think if President Trump wins, we're gonna have to get back to a system of voting that is paper ballots counted by human beings with other human beings watching them the way we used to do in the old days and it seemed to work just fine. Not perfect, but certainly better than this. No mail in balloting a- except in few cases military right except except for in a few cases and with a lot of authentication look the mere fact that we don't have universal voter id in this country that a person can walk in off the street claim to be somebody sign a signature and get to vote is nuts we I mean, right. either we care about our vote or we don't either we care, care about the sanctity of our republic or we don't yeah thank you for your hard work Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. My my pleasure. Thanks, Bill. Well, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. 